remarkable, wonderful weekend. Even if I almost broke my back carrying Nancy Treby's satchel to the chair at the table. I'm not going to mention it anymore, Nancy. I made the mistake yesterday while they were eating lunch. Nancy comes in with this thing. So would you like me to take it to the table? Yes, I would. <laughs> table 27, right? You see, it made an impact on me. Wonderful weekend. There is a verse in Luke. This doesn't count for the sermon, so you just hold on. There's a verse in Luke 8.18 I'd like you to turn to. 8.18. It's repeated in Mark, but I remember where it is in Luke. (laughs) Jesus has just... Just given the parable of the four soils, or soils if you're from New Orleans. And he's explained the meaning of those parables to his disciples. And he says, the word of God comes forth. And when it comes forth, it's going to be received in four types of soil. First three, essentially. The word doesn't produce what God intends it to. Because of weeds and thorns and the trappings of life, etc. But the fourth soil, the good heart, brings forth what? Thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And after Jesus has explained this, he says in verse 18, he says, therefore what? Be careful how you listen. So let me encourage us. Be careful, ladies, how we listen. Let's be a church that is filled with ladies who will, over the course of the next several days, weeks, months, and years, will realize and experience 30, 60, and 100-fold. Amen? And I'm more for the 100-fold for us. And that husbands will be able to receive and sons and daughters and other members of the church be able to receive the great strength and the great encouragement and nutrients from the fruit of your lives. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Well, this morning, we're turning to John 18. What's wrong with me? What's happening? What's going on? I I don't understand this. I think as we read this passage, this is what you're going to hear from the Apostle Peter. What's happened? What went wrong? How did I get myself in this mess? I thought I was stronger than that. I thought I was better than that. Spent three years with Jesus. Seen the miracles, been used in miracles. Given revelation. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
happened. I didn't realize I was that weak. I thought I was strong. Strong enough to stand almost anything for this man whom I love because he has loved me so much. What's going on? What's going to happen to me? I'm afraid. Let's read this passage of Scripture, John 18, 15 through 18 and 25 to 27. And Simon Peter, you remember what's happened? Jesus has been arrested in the garden. And as Jesus is being taken away to the house of Annas, and as they're in the courtyard, Peter and John have come into the courtyard sitting at the fire warming themselves as the trial of Jesus is occurring. And Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. We believe that's the Apostle John who wrote the account. And since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are one of this man's disciples, aren't you? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a coal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Let's get down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and he said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once, at once a rooster crowed. And you remember the rest of the story. Peter left weeping bitterly. I didn't know I was that weak. What's happening to me? How could I have come to this place? How many of us perhaps have heard ourselves from time to time in this soliloquy? How many of us have had life come against us in such a way? Because of fear and frustration, confusion, we deny Jesus. Oh, we didn't say, I don't like him, he's not the Son of God. We just denied him by not obeying, not speaking forth, 
compromising, whatever. How many of us can find ourselves in this place of being so surprised and confused? I didn't think this could happen to me. Fathers, we go through your word today. Father, we know that there, this word, people say Jesus is on trial, but we know that Jesus was not on trial. He, in fact, was trying as the judge. Judas, the disciples and Peter, Annas and Caiaphas, Herod, Pilate, this world's sin. And Father, we know that everyone except Jesus was found wanting, having been weighed in the balances of your holy justice. Father, speak to us this morning. Father, and help us to understand your purpose in our trials. So that, Father, we may be able to be freed from fear and frustration and guilt in order to be made into the church that glorifies you as you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. What's wrong? What was wrong? What was wrong in Peter's life? If you're taking notes, I don't remember what's in the notes. I can't remember all those. But if you don't have an answer, put this answer down. What was wrong What had happened? What had gone wrong? The answer is nothing, essentially. Nothing had gone wrong. You say, well, wait a minute. How can that be? How can a man deny Jesus and that be nothing has gone wrong? What's going on here? 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us this. Everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What's going on? What is Peter experiencing here? What is God's intention and purpose in these trials? We have a, a promise from God that every one of us who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We will be on trial We will be tested. And in that testing, Satan is desiring to destroy our faith. But in the same testing, God is at work as we cooperate to rebuild our faith. Now, can we get the two? There is a double activity here when we are undergoing trials, persecutions, difficulties, anything at all that causes us to begin to waver or weaken or have any difficulty in responding faithfully to the work of God. Two things are always occurring. Satan's purpose is to destroy. 
But God is also there to rebuild. Now, why is this important? When I was teaching school, it didn't take very long to discern this. That fear of failure, frustration over grades, all of those kinds of mechanics as far as success and how we're going to produce and what kind of student we're going to be. Am I going to make straight A's? Am I going to maintain my good average? Am I going to get a whatever? All of those activities created in the students massive difficulties to why we were really there. You see, we were not in school, at least as far as I can determine, to get grades. That's not the purpose of education, making grades. The purpose was to educate us. Amen? To build us up. To cause us to be able to become successfully functioning adults in this world. Because I have learned that thems who made straight A's, don't you like the grammar? Everybody said, that's bad, grandma. <laughs> thems who made straight A's, often parents are not the ones who do the best in the society. Now, that doesn't say that you shouldn't make good grades and strive to do the best you can. And so in an effort to try to overcome the obstacle of the preoccupation of failure and frustration and fear. And I've shared this before. I didn't give grades publicly. And when a test came about, and when the result was given, there was no grade on there. Because, you see, the A, B, C, D, or F overrode the purpose of the test. Are you getting this? The test wasn't to give grades. The test was to determine, not from me, I knew what they could do. The test was so they would know what they could and could not do and did know and did not know. And that's what God is about in our lives. And until we come to the place of understanding God's purpose in bringing or allowing tests to come into my life and your life, we're going to be bound by fear and frustration and failure which is going to work against the very purpose of God in saving us, that we should be His holy, obedient, mature, glorifying people. Amen? That we should no longer be sinning as we have been, but that sin should begin to diminish radically in our lives and holiness should begin to increase radically in our lives. I say that now in case you think that we are trying to say sin doesn't matter. You see, James 1, 2 says this about these trials. Count it all joy. 
Now, surprisingly, the students in the class didn't always clap when we said we were having a test. (laughs) But you know what happened? They began to not allow the testing process to circumvent their ability to communicate what they knew. Because they weren't preoccupied with the grade, they were then beginning beginning to become preoccupied with what they knew. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What is James saying? The purpose of trials is what? The testing of your faith. James 1-2. The testing of your faith. Now let's be clear about a couple of fundamental issues here. First, If we are God's children, we live in a war zone. If we were living in Iraq, and one of the guys used this a few weeks ago. If we were living in Iraq, I think maybe it was Matt. Did you do this, Matt? And people were shooting at us. What's happening? You see, if we were living in Iraq, we would do everything we could as soldiers to prepare ourselves to listen, to read, to learn, to have our gear on, to do absolutely everything because we don't want our head blown off. Amen? Friends in Christ, we are living in a more dangerous war zone here because the damage we incur that is occurring to us here could go into eternity. This is a worse war zone than any Iraq. We live in a war zone, for though we walk in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3, though we walk in the flesh, though we're living in fleshly bodies, we are waging war, not according to the flesh. Paul knew we're in a battle, an all-out battle for the glory of God. An unrelenting, unceasing battle in our lives. So, let's remember this then. We are always, all of us, going to be hounded and hassled by God's malevolent enemy. Remember John 16, 33. In this world, you what? You what? Will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Second, every trial, may I repeat that word, those two words. Now say that again for you, Steve. Every trial, may we repeat it together. Every trial is Satan's attempt to penetrate our shield of faith. Listen to these words from Ephesians chapter 6, 16. Paul is talking about putting on the full armor of God. He begins it in verse 10, essentially, and goes through verse 18, finishing it with prayer. But in verse 16, Paul says this, In all circumstances, how many in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. In other words, those missiles, those trials, those temptations, Satan is constantly... He doesn't get tired. And why is he, what is he hoping for? He's hoping to find a crevice, a weakness, a place 
that his arrow can get through to penetrate Ooh, me. Oh. That's what his purpose is. But at the same time, when he's doing shoo, 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 shoo. You like that, don't you? I like, you know, I didn't know. Pete, Pete uh, Seminole's jealous. I, you didn't know I was a good bowman like that, did you? I can hit anything, babes. It may not be the target, but I'll hit it. <clears throat> but in the midst of the trial, Satan is shooting at our armor, at our shield. But in the midst of that, God is also involved revealing the condition of our shield of faith. So you see, we can be of good cheer. This is why James says, be of good cheer. I mean, who, who wants to be of good cheer if all we're doing is getting shot at all the time? That's not good cheer. The good cheer isn't that you're getting shot at all the time, but in the midst of getting shot at, God is showing us where the chinks and the cracks and the weaknesses are so they can be patched up by His grace. You see, Jesus knew Peter would be tested. And He knew Peter would fail. Turn to Luke 22. Peter knew, sorry, Jesus knew Peter would be tested. Peter, that rooster's going to crow a few times, and when he does, you're going to deny me three times. Jesus knew Peter was going to be tested, and He also knew Peter was going to fail the test. He didn't say this way, oh, Peter, you're going to be tested and you're going to deny me. I can't believe you're going to deny me after all this time we've been together and all the things that I've done for you and the way I've laid down my life for you and you're going to deny me. I can't take it anymore, Peter. Get out of my sight. I can't. You, you disgust me. That's how we think. Amen. Anybody do anything to us and that's how we react? Aren't you glad the grace of God has never once acted that way toward us in Christ? Thank God, thank God He's never been that way with me. If anybody God should have been disgusted with is I, this man here. But He's never been that way. Look at verse... Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, shifting sand, shifting sand. Simon, shifting sand. He didn't call him Peter Rock at that point. Shifting sand, shifting sand. Simon, shifty. No foundation. Satan has what? What, 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 what word? Demanded. Don't ask me the theology of that. I don't understand it. Keith can tell you next week what that means. And if he can, I know Matt will. Somebody better than I. I don't get this thing about demanding. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Try you. Try you. Shoot arrows at you. Satan has demanded to test you, to try you. But you see, when Jesus tells Peter this, he is already prepared. Look at the tense. 
when Jesus tells Peter, Satan is getting ready to bring you down, dude. Look at verse 32. What does it say? And listen and look carefully at the verb tenses. Past, present, and future. You remember your grammar? But what I will pray for you. How many of you read that in there? I'm going to pray for you, Peter. I'm going to pray that you're not deny me. Is that what he says? Look at what the Word says. If you have a Bible, open it. Luke 22, 32. Don't just sit. Look at what your Word says. It's important to see the Word of God, not only to hear it. He says, Peter, Satan's coming and he's going to get you. And when he tells Peter this, he says, but, don't you love the buts in the Bible? No, no, they're big. They're big. They mean things. It's a coordinate conjunction which puts the idea in the reverse. They are adversative. They're one of the six coordinate conjunctions. And don't know a but for yet. And they mean they reverse the thing. Satan has come to kill you, but I... Get this in our own trials and temptations and difficulties. But I have already prayed for you. That should not deny me. Does, that, does, it, does it say that? Don't amen me too fast. You read your word. Be careful about amening a preacher. You better make sure your word. But I have prayed that you do not deny me. What does he say? I have prayed that your faith... Fail not, or does not fail. What was important in Jesus' mind? I'm going to have to say this, taking a chance that we can gather up all that we've ever said about sanctification and justification in this congregation. What was on Jesus' mind primarily was not the fact that Peter denied him or not deny him. It was the content and the condition of his faith. Of his faith. Of his faith. But I have prayed. Can you imagine this? Everything in my life as a believer and everything in your life. What word did I say in the beginning? Everything. May you re- would you repeat that with me? Everything. No, 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 no. Don't say it if you don't believe it. How much? I love loud. One more time. Everything. Everything in my life. Especially as it comes to the work of temptation and difficulties and problems and circumstances. Everything must pass through the loving, powerful, purposeful permission of God. Now, that helps me because I know that whatever it is I'm experiencing, I ain't experiencing it alone and apart from the purpose and the activity of God actively in the midst of it. Not just sitting there, oh, I hope he's going to do now. Let's see what he's going to do now. God is actively involved with me, in me, in every single trial. You see, Jesus' purpose 
was Peter's faith building, his restoration. Aren't you glad that Peter's restoration was not dependent upon his own strength, but upon the grace of God? I'm going to try to do better next time, brother. I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to give more. Well, that's great. You probably need, like I do, to pray more, to give more, and to read the Bible more. But that ain't going to do it. It's the power of God's presence that will win the day. And certainly, spiritual disciplines God will use to bring about our yielding in to His power in a greater way. You see, without verse 32, verse 31 is a death sentence to Peter. Now, you see, when we're tempted and tried, too many of us want to live in verse 31. Are you in Luke right now, 22, verse 31? Do you see where I'm still in? When we're undergoing the difficulty, the trial, the problem, the whatever, the slander, the frustration, the relational, whatever it is, the disappointments, the dissatisfactions, the disagreements. Let's not live in verse 31. But let's look at verse 31 and get up and walk out of verse 31 and sit down and rest in verse 32. I have already prayed for you. Jesus isn't caught off guard. <gasps> He's not trying to <laughs> catch up to Peter. He's already there. He's already on the other side of Peter's denial before Peter even is tested. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Well, that sounds good to me, brother, but I don't know about my circumstances. Do you, Jesus is already on the other side of Peter's denial before Peter even is tested. You see, when Peter was in verse 31, 32 was a coming. But Peter didn't know it. But Jesus knew it. When we're in 31, can we remember that 32 is a coming? But I have prayed that your what? He didn't say, I certainly hope you don't deny me. Does Jesus want us to deny him? No. But he's a realist. And he knows us too well. See, God was using Peter's failure to reveal the cracks and the crevices and the weaknesses in Peter's shield of faith so that the cracks could be patched. Didn't God know Peter's shield had cracks? Yes, but Peter didn't know. And so, for whose benefit is the trial? For Jesus or Peter? Who? For Peter. It was Peter who was strutting along thinking he could do well and he could overcome. And that he was, has it mostly together and that he didn't have many weaknesses in him. And, you know, he's, he, he's, he's the man. Peter needed this because Peter would never, I believe, have become the great man of God that he became without this huge collapse. 
Thank God for the grace of God that allows us to collapse in our weaknesses before Him so that as we collapse and we call out to Him, He can come in and begin to rebuild us in His own strength. Amen? What was the result? Listen to these words from this same man years later. 1 Peter 1, 6. In this, he's talking about this salvation, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Do you believe that when he used that word trials, he did not think of that trial that he failed? You know, when we read the word, we kind of move along and Peter's talking about trial and we don't connect. This is a man who denied Jesus three times back there. And look what he's saying now. Look how he's being used. He's been hurt so much, and yet now he's being able to help so much. When the hurt came in, God redid it and turned the, sorry, the hurt into help. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you see, Peter's experience is also ours. Now, I know sometimes we think this way. More, I hope I never am tested like that, because if I am, I hope I don't fail. You're going to fail. Oh, what a downer. You see, what does James say? Count on all joy. When? You're going to fail. Well, not me, brother. I can tell you one thing. Have you ever read 1 Peter 5, 5 yet? I'm not going to tell you what it is. Just go read 1 Peter 5, 5 and let that soak into you. So the question is, am I going to fail? You're going to fail many tests. Anybody in here having never failed a test at all by God? Anybody in here? Anybody in here? You've been tested and you've never failed. Never once have you sinned. Anybody here? Anybody? We're going to fail. You see, the question isn't, am I going to fail? The question is, will I recognize that God is in each trial with me and for me and that if I fail I can turn to him for restoration without fear of punishment that's the question is that where you're living in verse 32 you see Jesus has paid all the price for all our sin all time. Romans 8.1 says what? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus is allowing us to be tested, but for good purposes and for building purposes. God's purpose, his motive is love. To reveal the weak in order to rebuild. Remember what Hebrews 12, 6 says? 
whom the Lord, some of you may know this verse actually, 12.6, whom the Lord what? Loves. Those are the ones whom he chastens. And if you don't want to be chastened, I don't want any trials, I don't want any, you know, I don't like all this stuff. Then the, the Bible essentially says, if you don't want that, then check out of Christianity. You know, you're illegitimate. Oh, wow. Can you imagine you need eye surgery? And you go to the doctor, and as you're sitting in the waiting room, you hear a couple of people talking. And they're saying, isn't this the doctor who failed that test where the retina was? Yeah, but, you know, he made enough. <laughs> I'll keep an eye out for you on that one. You like that, huh, Pops? You say, oh, wow, you know. It is so unfair and unkind to test that man to see what he knows. Man, when I go to the doctor, I want him to have had as many tests as he could possibly have. How many of you with me on that? I want him to have as many tests as he could possibly have. Why? Because I know that's the only way that we're going to figure out whether he knows anything. Are you with me on this? Can we begin to see from God's perspective this is his, his purpose in us? You see, because we have to begin, if you would, in, in, a, in a relational way to relax about God. We have to relax about our relationship with God when it comes to our testing and our tempting. We have to begin to relax. Do I mean to take God casually? Absolutely not. But there is a relaxing to realize God is lovingly doing something significant in me. Every time I am undergoing a test. As he uses the attacks of Satan to lovingly reveal what I don't know and I must know in order to grow into his significant son or daughter. We need to relax about God. Even Paul, I'm sorry, I liken this, this process to God's rebuilding work of what happened to us in Katrina. I liken it to God's rebuilding work of what happened to us in Katrina. This work of testing. You see, when Katrina struck, most of us, maybe all of us, did not see that God would rebuild the church the way He has. But what happened? Here we are today. You see? Yes. You see, what happened was, we joined God in His rebuilding program. Not being so fearful and frustrated and frightened. That we couldn't move. But recognizing, wait. There's something big going on here. And how many of, had to, how many of us had to be adjusted during those days? Right? We had to undergo serious adjustments. 
You see, I call this controlled failure. Controlled failure. Peter was experiencing controlled failure. Where the junk, weaknesses, deadwood, termite-ridden structure of this man's spiritual condition had to begin to be destroyed bit by bit, trial by trial, in order for Peter to be rebuilt as God's man of strength. Controlled failure. You know, Paul had to learn the same thing. Second Corinthians, you might turn there, chapter 12. Paul had to learn the same thing. All of those who are going to walk godly in a way that pleases God are going to have to come to grips and deal with this and embrace this the way God desires it to be embraced because this is the way He works. It's just the way God works. Second Corinthians twelve seven. Man, Paul has received a huge revelation. The revelation is this, the glory of God in the church. Paul is hot to trot. He's ready to go. Let me loose. I'm going on. I'm moving out. And he gets going, and all of a sudden, he, he can't run very well. He's just dragging along. He said, wait a minute. There's a problem here. I'm ready to go and blow for Jesus. My side hurts. What does verse 7 say? i got a thorn in the side. Now, because I'm not able to go and blow for Jesus the way I think I need to, and God, you know, let me loose here, God, get this thing out of me. Verse 7, do you see what it says here? Verse 7 and 8, which verse is it? I forget. 7, I entreated God what? Three times, get this thing out of me. Why does Paul want it out? Because it's obvious that this thorn in the flesh, this trial, this difficulty, was slowing him down. It's obvious it's a problem. It's obviously it's not God's will. Patently obvious. God doesn't want me to be weak. He wants me to be strong. Well, yes, He does. But there is a way He does that. See, Paul wanted to serve the Lord without any encumbrance, but found that his weaknesses were in the way. Amen? How many can amen that? My weaknesses are in the way. Therefore, he did what all of us did. He pleaded with God to get it out. Three times, get this out of me. Now, God is good. God is here to bless Paul, because Paul is going to be blessing God through the ministry. So what's God's answer? No. Well, you told me God always answers prayer. He did. He said no. <laughs> oh, man, I didn't know that was in God's vocabulary. No! Look, look at verse 9. Very instructive. Here we have a weakness. Here we have a weakness that Paul didn't know about until it was tested, until something came against him in a particular area or occurred, whatever it was, that caused Paul to know, ah, there's something wrong with me. I didn't know I had this sin issue in me. I didn't know I had this propensity for this attitude. 
I didn't know I felt this way about that, whatever it is. I didn't know that those temptations could do that to me. And God's answer, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in. It's the word E-N in the Greek. It's called the locative in the midst of your weakness. God in the midst of Paul's weaknesses is going to produce flowers of grace. Paul didn't know that, and Paul would never have become the apostle to the Gentile world and have written all that he wrote without this kind of trial that came against him and tested his faith and exposed the weakness in his shield of faith. He would have been eaten for lunch by Satan without this. And I say, thank God, thank God for Paul's testing. How many of you can agree with that? Well, then how many of us can say, thank God, thank God for my testing. For when I am tested, I am going to change my mind about the ad- my attitude about it. I am no longer going to get fearful, frustrated or whatever, ashamed or guilty. I am going to rise up. I'm going to confess my sin and I'm going to go to God and say, Lord, there is weakness in me. There is something wrong with my shield of faith in this particular area. And I'm asking you to begin to re- Reveal it to me so you can patch it up or overcome it, if you would, by your grace. Rather than letting the thing remain year after year after year, and after 35 years, I'm still committing the same sin issues. My God, the sin issues in my life ought to be able to be overcome and allow for the next group to come up. <laughs> because you ain't seen nothing yet is wrong with you. The little sin issue that you've been dealing with year after year has disallowed the major other issues underneath you. Just let this one pop up, deal with it in the grace of God, allow God by cooperating with Him, recognizing what He's doing, to deal with this and overcome it by His grace so that this issue is no longer operative. It's there, but it's not operative. God's grace is dealing with it so that all the other gook can come out. Because the Bible says this, that God is richly glorified in manifesting the superior power of His grace in the midst of all of our crud. You wonder sometimes why many in this church are not growing? Because you're not letting God uncork you and get down to the deeper issues of what's wrong in your life because you're still dealing with the little teenage issues that you've been dealing with all your life. Get rid of it! By going to God and saying, what's wrong? Where is the deal? What's the problem? Where is it located? Where is the root? I will know what it is, and by your grace, I will submit to you and cooperate with your grace digging in this area. In order to overcome it. Stop saying, I'm tired of sinning. I'm tired of sinning. I don't want to do this anymore. Well, stop doing it and do what God wants you to do. You see, Paul says, Therefore, you mean to tell me this is God's work of manifesting my weakness in order that I would experience and minister in the power of His grace. 
Paul says, bring it on, bring it on. Come on, Satan, bring it on, because I'm ready for even more to be revealed in me. Because when I am weak, I have learned this, that God is going to overcome it with his strength. And I'm going to walk and work and minister in the power of God's grace. But it's not going to happen until we begin to not allow ourselves to be overcome with fear and frustration of failure. Stop it. I'm not glad when I fail. I hate, hate failing. But I am not going to allow it to beat me into the ground. I've learned that when I fail, I immediately, or as fast as I know what to do, go to God and say, that was wrong. I'm embarrassed. Well, be embarrassed anyway and go to God. That was wrong. And ask God to begin to reveal the air of weakness. You see, I have come to grips with a mighty revelation. And I think I've shared this before, but here is a mighty revelation. If I've said it before, you don't remember in any way, I'm sure, write it down again. Here's a mighty revelation for you. Here's a mighty revelation for you. We are human beings. Well, you laugh. But your whole dissatisfaction is because you're human. And because you're not what you think you should be. You see, if we were satisfied with being human, as David was in Psalm 139, you've wonderfully knitted me in my mother's womb. And at the end of it, he says, reveal my sin to me. Oh, reveal it that I might be a man of greater holiness. See, we're cowering in the corner and worried about all that. You see, my weaknesses, which are many, and what troubles me is I don't even begin to know how many they are. If you think your husband or wife has them, you don't even know the billionth of it. My weaknesses, I have to approach them in two simultaneous ways. Two ways simultaneously. I have to look at them as the avenue of sin and say, no, I reject the sin. But then I must also embrace them as the avenue of God's grace and say, yes, yes. I remember one time, some sin issue. And I was out there praying, doing whatever, minding my own business, as I'm always apt to do. <laughs> You've been getting a lot of trouble minding your own business. And the Lord said, you know, the way you said that was wrong. It was sin. Oh, man. You see, I don't want to sin. And then he says, but will you thank me for the area of weakness? Will you thank me for it? It's there. Hmm. Hmm. May I be real with you? I didn't want to. I mean, how many of you know you have weaknesses and genuinely are happy about it? 
But look what the Paul said. Look at the Apostle Paul says. I will what? Rejoice. Something happened. And I said, yes, I will thank you. I will thank you on this basis because it's true. That as I thank you and submit to you and surrender this thing to you, I will ask and know by trusting you that you will bring forth your grace in the midst of this crowd. Therefore, I can say, thank you, Jesus, for my weakness. Do you know where my weakness came from? Do you know how it got in there? God put it in there. Amen? Anybody here today that what you have inside of you isn't from God? You see this face? I'm glad I'm not on your side of it, but God gave me this face. Well, I have to sneak up on mirrors sometimes. They're a bad reflection on me. It's, it's just a, uh, it's a real pain. But, you know, it's just, I don't care anymore. I used to be very upset about the way I look. Maybe I'm just numbed out. I don't know. But God, I had to, God had to show me, I made you like this. Ugly? I made you like this so the women wouldn't chase you. Thank God, thank God, thank God I don't need the temptation. No, I'm I'm being real. I'm really being real to you. This is true. I I made you with, you know, I had to come to grips and be satisfied and joyful. Because then the Lord says, now, will you allow me to begin to come back in? And like Peter... Let you deny me so that the cracks and the crevices can begin to be revealed. Ask God for the source of your failure. Let's decide to look at our trials differently from God's perspective. We can. We have to decide to do it. Let's decide not to be overcome with Guilt, fear, and frustration or whatever because of our sin. Because all it will do is build more opportunity for Satan to bring in more wheelbarrows of stuff and dump it on your lawn. Let's remember this great verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. For we have this treasure, the Holy Spirit, the gospel, the life of Christ, in earthen vessels, we're human beings, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Let's decide to joyfully and lovingly allow God to rebuild our faith which is filled with cracks and crevices. Filled with them. But let's allow Him to rebuild us. Let's not be afraid. Let's use the the failures as opportunities for our maturity so that we will be able to pass the next test as more than conquerors. How many of you tell your children when they come home with a bad grade or they miss something? What do you tell them? You dumb, stupid. You just like your mama. 
We see if he's like his daddy to fail the whole test. I just said one thing. You didn't catch that, did you? Or how many of you say, look, sweetheart, let's learn it. And uh, say, yeah, what, what? Next time, you'll be able to pass it well. Isn't that what God's saying to us? I can't, I can't, I'm afraid, afraid, afraid. No, no, you can. Let's work together. You see, punishment doesn't produce learning. Encouragement produces learning. Did God's restoration work in the Apostle Peter? He was cowering in the corner for a little girl to talk to her. Talk to him. Listen. Listen to this man five weeks later. Acts 22. I'm 2, 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and knowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. What happened? This man who was afraid of a little girl at a fireside stands before thousands five weeks later and says, You crucified the Lord of glory. What happened? God took this man who considered himself a rock and crushed him by the rock of Christ. And then put it all back together the way God decided it should be. And send him out as a man who caused Satan and hell to sweat every day when Peter put his feet on the ground. What kind of a church are we going to be? What kind of a church do we want to be? The building in which we began to worship God... Where we're beginning to worship. Or the building that God has rebuilt as He has used the trials and storms of our lives to build us into His beautiful spiritual building because He loves us. men who are going to find themselves in this category. Lord, it is, it is so true what Peter shared. It's not a question of will we fail. We will fail. Lord, in this room are many, many acts of failure that have occurred in our lives. The Lord, that was never intended to be the punctuation at the end of the sentence. Our failure 
is what occurs midstream on our way to something else. Your redemptive work in our lives. So, Lord, I'm concerned, and Lord, you know who is gathered here this morning, that there are too many who stopped at their failure and have not continued on into the redemptive work. They've not become the Apostle Peters that they were meant to be as a result of your involvement in our failures. Instead, they have lived in the shadow of failure, controlled, influenced, and affected by it. Lord, this morning, let us continue on. Lord, let us continue on into the work. Lord, let it be that whether this failure in our lives was last week or 20 years ago, Lord, however it appears in our history, Lord, let it be that this morning we're going to read the rest of the sentence and we're going to keep going. Holy Spirit, give us grace to receive from you. But first, God, give us courage to face our failures. And I want you to let the Holy Spirit bring to the front stage of your mind. In what way have you most significantly failed? What's coming to mind right now? now? For you personally, you're going to have to apply this scripture to that moment. In some way, you feel like the Apostle Peter who denied the one he loved the most. Perhaps your failure feels just like that. Like you have denied Christ. You have hurt Him. You have hurt others, the ones you love the most. I don't believe your situation to be different. As we learned about the Son of God who intercedes for us. Do you believe that the Son of God has prayed for you? I have prayed for you. That your faith would not fail. And Peter, when you, when you turn, go and comfort your brethren. God has a work of redemption to do in your failure. You can't leave that out of the story. Now, the, the word I have is for some folks here who are walking with those who have failed. Now, listen carefully. This is the impression I got. That there are people here who have hidden failures. You have hidden them. You have kept them secret because you don't see the redemptive work of God in those failures. They have remained in your life as unresolved items and there are pollutants in your life. There are hidden pollutants in your life because you're hiding them. You're afraid to bring them out. And the only reason why you could possibly be afraid to bring them out is because you have failed to see that God is redemptive. And if you did bring them out, God would take the redemption and put it into your life and you'd experience the greatness of God in your failure. 
So I'm very concerned there are some folks here who you're hiding your failure and the hiddenness of it is causing guilt, shame, problems in your behavior, problems in how you relate, problems in your lack of ability to be free and walking with others. So, you know, the only remedy to that is for you to trust God that you can disclose this. You can take it out of hiding in your life. And here's what it's going to mean. Because the one example that came to mind is I believe that there is a man here who needs to disclose his unfaithfulness to his wife. And he is scared to death to do that. But what if that wife is here this morning with a belief in the redemptive work of God in failure? What if she is here this morning believing that God wants to redeem the failure that was in the Apostle Peter's life that is in my husband's life? He wants to redeem it. And this man needs to become who God wants him to be by letting that event become something that God uses profoundly to shape him. Well, that means that those around any who have hidden failures in their life are going to need to see the redemption of God as well. You're going to need to see that God was in that failure for a greater day. That was not the punctuation at the end of the sentence. God was in that for a greater day. And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. So let's let's pray, and and I'm not going to call anyone forward this morning. But in your heart where you're standing, you're needing to walk forward and say, I'm I'm not hiding this anymore. I I have courage in the work of God that He wants to work redemptively in my places of failure. He's not done. My failure was not the end of the day. It was not to rule over me. It's not to be hidden. It's bringing you down. It's affecting others. It's holding you captive. Have courage. Trust in God. He doesn't love the Apostle Peter any more than he loves you. What he did in praying for and restoring and redeeming in Peter's life, he will do in yours. Lord, this morning I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring freedom into these hidden places. Lord, may it be that for folks that are here this morning who live in the shadow of shame and guilt that no one knows about because, you see, no one can know about this. Lord, let today be the end of that season in their lives, Lord. No more. No more. Lord, let today be a day of fresh hope that you would come into that failure and you would put both hands on it, the hands that went to the cross and paid fully for that sin so that you could raise that failure from the dead and turn it into something that blows our minds. That in the future we'd be men and women who we never could have imagined that we would have been. 
except by redemptive grace and lays hold of our failures. Lord, I pray for courage in this room. I pray that days ahead would be filled with wise disclosure. And Lord, I pray for those who are walking with others who need to confess failure, hidden failure, perhaps deceitful, deceitfully hidden failures. Lord, I pray that you'd give those around those individuals faith to believe for the day of redemption as perhaps they will be pierced to the heart to hear and be disappointed. Yet, Lord, be greater than their own hearts and give them eyes to see the day that you will redeem failure and turn those folks into what they never could have been without that occurring. Lord, because that's who you are. That's how you are. That's how we know you. God of resurrection and of new life who steps into the worst of circumstances and moments to reveal a great mind-blowing glory. Lord, do that in our midst. Lord, as we close in song this morning, Lord, stir the faith that you have given into our lives. Stir it, Lord, though the enemy has taken shots at it. Lord, you are the keeper of our faith. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. Our faith will not fail because you keep it and protect it. You are the shield for us. So, Lord, to stir our faith this morning that we might now take steps of faith in trusting you. In Jesus' name.